As I transition into the scripture reading, as we continue into the lead series, we are going to read from John chapter 13, 1 to 17. John chapter 13, 1 to 17. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now that I am doing what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put it on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and right, rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Amen. Thank you so much, Eric. And uh, happy Mother's Day, everybody. Uh, the team has done an awesome job setting that all up, so I hope you take advantage of that. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll get into today's scripture. Father, thank you so much for all the wonderful mothers and mother figures uh, here at Current and represented here today. Uh, what a gift they are. Can't really put, put words to it, but we're so, we're so grateful for them, for the, for the gift that you've given to us through them. Would you bless them? Would today be special? But would you also increase their impact and, and the, the light that they are? Uh, in, in so many of our lives and in, and in our community. Bless them, protect them, watch over them. And then, Father, we want to pray especially for those for whom Mother's Day brings with it pain and, uh, and hurt. Father, would you especially uh, draw close to you those people who are here today? Would you, would you minister to them in their hearts, comfort them, cover them with your, with your love and peace? And Father, today as we look to your word, we just ask that you would give us your spirit to understand what it is you have in front of us. It's such a gift to be able to meet together in, in a setting like this. What a joy. 
But please help us have soft hearts to receive what it is you have from us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you knew you had one day to live, what would you do? You know, it would be fun to take a poll on something like this. I imagine there would be a lot of wonderful uh, answers uh, from a room like this. But uh, if, you, if you knew you had one day to live, what, what would you do? I imagine some of us would try to knock off one of those big bucket list items, you know, that we've, we've been meaning to get to. Or, or this being current, I imagine many, many of us would be thinking about food and the meals that we'd be eating. And if you had one day to live, what, what, would, you, what would you be doing? What would you choose to do? Jesus, knowing he had just one day to live, chose to serve, chose to wash his disciples' feet, which if that's not incredible enough, uh, there's more to it than just that. I mean, he, when you look at a text like this, this famous text of him washing his disciples' te- te- uh, feet, you see that he is absolutely relishing it. It's like he'd been thinking about this, just looking forward to this, and now that the occasion was upon him, he just, he just loved the opportunity to get to wash his disciples' feet. And I think perhaps most importantly for us as we consider this famous text today, we see he was not overtly hung up on the very things that tend to hang us up, hang us up on when it comes to serving others. There are a lot of things that prevent or get in the way of us serving others, and this text explicitly deals with some of that. Let me put it differently. You know, if, if you're a Christian or not, uh, you know that Jesus calls his followers to serve, okay? If you're a Christian or not, you know that there is tremendous impact, and, and it would make an incredible difference if we just served just a little bit more. Now, whether or not you're a Christian You'll also know that it's just not in our human nature to just do this, though. Like, we just, it's our tendency not to serve, if anything. And here today, we're going to continue this series, as Eric mentioned earlier, the series we've been calling Lead, looking at different ways that God calls us to lead in different areas of our lives, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's at home, whether that's in the community. We're called to lead in different, different ways. And so we've been talking about leading through others, leading through resources. Cindy touched upon last week, leading through uh, our vulnerability. There's a number of ways we're, we're called to lead. But here, if I, if I may say this, seems to me to be the central theme of it all, the central call. In fact, when I first was putting together the sermon series, I almost entitled it Servant Leadership, but the team had a better, <laughs> better, more creative way to go. Servant Leadership really could summarize what we're talking about in all of these messages, because that's the central call, that's the central theme of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, let alone leading as a follower of his. We're all called to lead through serving. Uh, and Jesus just modeled that on every page in the scriptures of his account. He's just he's constantly leading through serving. But the problem is, we very often just don't do that. Um, so, so how do we do that? Well, it's as if Jesus actually knows our hearts and gives us some, some thoughts here. In fact, you know, studying this text that I've looked at uh, before, I mean, this is a famous text, it really stood out to me that it very much addresses a lot of the things that really do hang us up when it comes to uh, serving others. So we're going to look at that. We're going to look specifically at the heart and call to serve and then get into how to do it. Okay, so here in this famous account of John 13, it, it makes it unmistakably clear that Jesus had a heart to serve. I mean, it's just unmistakable. Jesus served on every page of the Bible, but here, very clearly, he's setting up a model of serving others, especially, especially through, through leading that we are, we are to serve. 
But what I want to uh, break down for us are a few ways that kind of boggle the mind in terms of how he went about serving. First, let's consider when he served, okay? Verse 1 tells us Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. We've already touched upon this, right? Jesus knew that he had one day to live and he chose to serve. Okay, but then it goes on to say, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. In a way, that's saying after Jesus had spent so much of his time serving others, he went ahead and chose yet again to serve others. Are you tracking that? It's like Jesus had spent all this time, basically 24-7, with these followers of his and out in the community with the crowds, just serving, looking to serve, serving at every opportunity. And we're told there at the end of his earthly ministry, after having essentially loved through serving these guys, he chose to once again serve. Uh, To put that into perspective a little bit, I mean, when you come home from a long day of work, okay, you're tired, you just, you know... Uh, let's, let's, for the sake of discussion, uh, discussion equate that with uh, working with serving. Let's say you're out all day kind of doing these sorts of things. You come home. What is usually your mindset or your inclination in that time, in those first few minutes when you get home? Is it to serve? I mean, chances are it's not. Chances are it's the opposite, right? If anything, we want to be served, although we would never say that, right? <laughs> if anything, we want to, like, th- you know, throw up our feet and, and recover a little bit, do that sort of thing. Jesus, after having loved his own, loved them, after having served for so long, chose to serve. If there's nothing that this scripture is making exceedingly clear, Jesus is showing us that to serve, to lead through serving is an absolute privilege. It is something we get to, we, we get to do versus have to do. We get, we get to serve others. It's, it's just an absolute privilege. And if we're missing out on that, that's where we need to really lean in on this text. So, okay, we see when he serves, but also notice how he serves, how he served. So verse 3 says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he, I love the causation right here, right? So he did what, considering who he was? Got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist and washed his disciples' feet. I don't need to press in upon this, spend too much time preaching, but we all understand this was not modern-day society, the feet of whom he was washing. You know what I'm saying? He was, he was dealing with ancient society guys' feet. I mean, this was before the modern-day sneaker. There was no socks. There was no modern-day pavement. There was no plumbing. You, you, okay. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. These guys' feet must have stank. I mean, it was just probably a bad situation. All they must have had really calloused feet. Okay, enough said. That's what Jesus was doing. But what's, what's even crazier is he was essentially doing something that not even servants in that day and age would have done. I mean, are you, does that sinking, sinking in? Jesus was doing something that even servants wouldn't have done because it was just thought of like, no, why would, why would you do that? Uh, Jesus was willing to, to, to lower himself even lower than a servant in order to, to serve these guys. Uh, Luke 20, in Luke 22, Jesus said it this way, I am among you as someone who serves. To serve, quite at its basic core, is to do even the most menial and humble of all kinds of service. So we see when Jesus served, how he served. Now consider, to me, perhaps the, the biggest kicker of them all, whom he served. Okay? Verse 2 explicitly calls out that he served Judas. The evening meal was in progress. And the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. 
Have you ever been betrayed? I mean, dealing with, let alone dealing positively with, someone who's betrayed you is perhaps the single hardest thing to do relationally there is. Uh, Wouldn't you say? And yet Jesus, not ignorant to the fact of what Judas was up to, in fact, is basically saying he knows what he was up to and would go on in a few moments' time, predict that he was doing these things, served him to the tune of washing his feet. There's no implication in this text or otherwise that Jesus got to Judas and was like, you know, I'm good on this one. Just going around. <laughs> I mean, you think about that. He served the one who would betray him and not just served him. Relished the opportunity from all we can tell because that's what he was about. He's thinking about this, looking forward to this opportunity. Served him, the one who betrayed him. And he also served Peter. It's not like Peter's all that much better than Judas, if we're getting down to it. In this same chapter, meaning just a few moments from this time, in John chapter 13, Jesus would go on to predict the famous time when when Peter would deny Christ. During his darkest hour, Peter would straight up deny him. And then the other ten disciples would all abandon him. These were the people that Jesus was swooping down and washing the feet of. It's, it's pretty incredible what he's doing here. We're told Jesus, knowing the hour had come for him to leave this world, got up from the meal and served. This is the God we serve, the one who serves. I am among you as one who serves. And how we, what we saw just a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said, the Son of Man didn't come into the world to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom. Then he goes on to make it a teaching moment, as Jesus was wont to do, and we're very grateful for it. But he kind of concludes, he teaches them and through them us. In verse 15, he says, I've, I've set an example that you should do as I have done for you. But frankly, as I think we all can attest to from our own personal experience of being human beings, we don't often do that, do we? We don't serve like this. We need to grapple with why that's the case and consider how we can lean into, with God's help, to actually serve in this way. Um, I mentioned earlier that this text uh, is very famous, and I've studied it a long time. It really has, it, it really stood out to me this week as, a look, as looking at it once again, of how it really calls out all these hang-ups that usually get in the way of us serving others. I mean, it's really explicit about it. So let's, let's look at how Jesus served and how, in what way he wasn't hung up in terms of helping us consider this for ourselves. So how did Jesus serve? Number, number one, Jesus served humbly. In other words, Jesus wasn't hung up by a sense of entitlement. Jesus served humbly. He was not hung up by a sense of entitlement. Uh, you notice how that was called out in our text, right? I mean, just, it's explicitly here. He goes to serve these guys' feet, and it explicitly says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God, so he served. We're just saying that he has the name above every other name. It's, this is, it's not like Jesus forgot all about that when he did this you know, little service act. It's, he actually did it from that place. He, he wasn't caught up in a sense of entitlement. If Jesus had any, if he was caught up in any way over a sense of entitlement, Jesus would not have been serving here. In fact, he would have been the last person literally on the planet to serve. And yet he served. Uh, you and I, wouldn't you say, we, we, we tend to get caught up on, hung up on, a sense of entitlement. It, it prevents us from serving, wouldn't you say? And the way it'll come out is we'll think or we'll say something to the tune of, well, it's not my job. Have you ever thought that way or felt that way underneath? 
It's, it's kind of a sense of entitlement that, gets, that hangs us up for, for, serving, for serving others. Uh, our kids, I've mentioned in the past, are at the age where they're helping around the house with chores and responsibilities. And, and they're getting older, so now it's like less us doing it while they're doing it. You know what I mean? So they're actually like able to contribute, and it's, it's being more of a help. Um, but they're still kids, and they're still you know, regularly showing not only their own human heart, but mine as well. Um, and so there will become times, like so for instance, in the recent past, Cindy got this wonderful dinner. She got some steaks, and I was just like, ooh, happy to cook that. So I was out cooking uh, the steaks, and I had stuff I was doing outside and inside. I was running back and forth, and, and food was getting ready, and, and I was like, I got to eat this when it's hot, and all that sort of stuff. So with all that kind of like going on, and I was just like, hey, kids, I saw them on the couch. Can you please help, you know, set, you know, clean up a little bit and set the table? We're getting ready to eat soon. Okay, all right, all right. You know, back out, making some food. I come back in to do some things inside. They still haven't moved. Hey, guys. Food's getting ready. Let's, let's, let's start doing that, okay? All right. So finally they start getting up, and, you know, I'm back out there. And I come back in, and what's happening? Well, what can happen? They're arguing. And not only that, I'm asking, hey, why is the table no less dirty than it was before? And the house, you know what I mean? We're no we're closer to having dinner. Well, that's not my stuff, Daddy, says one. And the other says, well, that's not my stuff. And it's like, okay. And I'll tell you what every parent in that moment is thinking. Well, it's not just my dinner I'm making. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, and you got to not respond right then and there. But you do have to respond. And, you know, and it's similar, just not quite to that effect. You're just like, hey, guys, okay. You know, daddy's not just making dinner. Mommy didn't just get this. You know, you go through all of that. You say, hey, Regardless of whether it's your stuff or your job when she's normally doing that or you're normally, you know what I'm saying? Like, we're all, we're all part of this, right? And, you know, as kids are wont to do, especially when you're in the Bible studying the scriptures a lot, they show you your own heart. They show you your own heart. And I, I imagine this is, we, we're constantly doing this. I mean, it's embarrassingly easy, by way of example, for me as a husband to go, well, that's not my job. I did that. I did this. You could do it's crazy easy for us to do that. And it makes zero sense sometimes. Uh, it's, it's, it's embarrassingly easy for us in the workplace to go, well, that's not my role. It's their role. And why aren't they? And yet Jesus is showing us that we just, we just, don't, we just get caught up out of a sense of entitlement. Now, just real quickly, I'm, it needs to be said. What we're not saying here, what, what, this is a, a description, not a prescription teaching. It's not saying, now we all need to go therefore, and the application is wash everybody's feet. Uh, sometimes, symbolically, that might be a good, wonderful thing to do, but really there's a broader application. The broader application is just to look for ways to just serve people, care for them, watch out for them. And so, you know, in, in, the, in, in, in the workplace, we're not trying to change anyone's job description. We're not saying, well, you just need to go do their work, and that's serving. It's, but it's looking for ways to care for them, serve for them, and just not out of a sense of entitlement, just kind of not do these things. And we can so easily, easily do that. Jesus is showing us, when he's leading through his, this act of service, he's showing us that the servant doesn't think, well, this is my job, not my job. The servant goes, Jesus, as he was washing these guys' feet, was saying, it might not be my job, but I'm going to make it my job. Because I'm going to see an opportunity to serve these guys, love them, care for them. Um, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, verse 13, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. In other words, Jesus is calling out, don't think that I'm serving from a position of weakness here, guys. 
I'm not serving from a place of weakness. I'm serving from a place of authority. But let me ask you, as you are, you know, rising the ladder in the corporate world or as you're advancing in your career, are you looking all the more to serve others? Like, are you seeing authority and more privilege or whatever the case might be as more opportunity to be a servant? But so often we see it the opposite, wouldn't you say? Uh, Jesus wasn't hung up over a sense of entitlement. Are there there any relationships in your life that that you don't serve out of of a sense of entitlement? Maybe you're saying, it's not my job. I don't need to do those things because I've already done enough. I don't need to serve. That person needs to serve me. Uh, I I mentioned a few weeks back a good friend of mine uh, named Dave uh, he's, he, he works down in, in the San Jose area. He's a CFO, and his is the rare story of having started at a company, out of college as, as an intern, and he's now, you know, at, at, on the executive team. And I was playing on a softball team with him just years ago, and it was really incredible to me to see all these different guys out there on the team that spanned kind of the, the corporate ladder of, of the company. So you had an intern out there. You had somebody uh, who was uh, a custodian. You had an executive out there, and it was, it was really incredible to me that there was that mix happening. And the thing that really s- stood with me is how Dave essentially was serving all of them. And one of the greatest ways he was serving them was just by making himself available to them. In particular, the interns. If you were here when I mentioned this, he, had, he remembered when he was an intern and nobody talked to him. If anything, they kind of gave him the stiff shoulder. So he's just looking for ways to serve people. Did he have on his job description making time for interns off his team? No. Was it necessarily pushing the bottom line of the company by meeting with these interns? Not not necessarily. But he was just serving them, giving them time for their own personal development. In fact, he was also helping out, like giving advice in marriages, in their marriages when they they asked of him, and and all all the rest of it. But so, what, what can happen so easily and such a natural tendency for us, if we're not careful, is, is not to serve out of a sense of entitlement. And what Christ is showing us here, very thoughtfully and explicitly, is don't get hung up by the sense of entitlement. If anything, as we increase in authority, as we increase in privilege, that's an opportunity to increase the service that we have unto others. So, number one, Jesus served in humility. He wasn't caught up in, out of a sense of entitlement. Number two, he served graciously. In other words, he wasn't caught up out of a sense of deservedness. Jesus served graciously. He wasn't caught up whether these guys deserved it or not because if he had, they weren't going to be served in any way. Just, there's, just, there's just no way. Uh, these guys were not only his disciples, his pupils, they weren't all that good of disciples at that. And yet he, he served them. They would, they would betray him. They would deny him. They would abandon him. And Jesus never goes at any time, even on the last day, hey, guys, time for performance reviews. You know what I'm saying? Because if he had, it's like, man, let alone this polar opposite of just saying, you know, I'm gonna, I, I relish this opportunity to serve these guys. Do you ever calculate in your mind if somebody's worth serving? Do you ever calculate in your mind, whether or not somebody's worth serving. We calculate all the time, don't we? If you think about it that way, well, they've been mean to me. They let me down. I'm annoyed at them. They don't help as much as they should. They don't deserve it. Do you ever calculate whether or not someone's worth serving or not? Um, Here's the problem with calculating. Uh, 
I could just go ahead and save us the, the, the math. They probably aren't deserving of you serving them. I mean, that's just the, when you get down to the, the, the bottom of it, they probably aren't deserving, but neither are you or I deserving of anyone serving us when you really, really get down to it. In fact, I mean, today's message is about leading, and we're talking about leading in different areas of our life, the workplace, on the community, at home. To me, this little uh, section, what we're talking about right now, is perhaps the greatest secret or key, well, at least it's way up there, in terms of helping your closest of all relationships, whoever you're closest to, husbands and wives, this is incredibly helpful to be gracious and not just to calculate, which is the human tendency to do. Uh, I remember uh, very vividly being in a premarital counseling session uh, a number of years back, many years back now. I shared this many years ago as well. Maybe some of you will remember it. It's just it's so good. But I was, we, were, we were having a premarital counseling session with this couple, and I was talking about conflict resolution, and I made the point uh, something like, hey, and, and the reality is when conflict arises, uh, our natural tendency is really to you know, find and put fault on the other person instead of kind of focusing on our own. And when, when we do that, when we really kind of focus on their fault and just kind of you know, appoint ourselves you know, judge, jury, and executioner, it really doesn't help things. And by really doesn't, it like really doesn't help things at all. Things are just kind of spiral out of hand. It's like, okay, all right. And I remember, I'll never forget, the husband-to-be was just kind of like staring off to the side and just like in deep thought. And it, after we were just talking about it for a while, he just, he just got a big smile. He's like, oh man, this makes perfect sense. I was like, tell me about it. He's like, this makes perfect sense. Because if you think about it, in all arguments or conflict, it's like there's a percentage of fault, right? Like, let's say, there's, rare is there a time one person of, of two, let's say, is 100% fault of this person and 0%. I mean, if that happens and you deal with it. But just like so often, it's like 40% me or 60% me or whatever, and 40 or 60% them. And what I'm doing, and you're helping me understand, is I'm focusing on, you know, their you know, 60%, making a big deal about that. And I really just focus on, I looked at him, I was like, you're such an engineer. It's like just breaking it down like that. But I was like, man, that's actually a really helpful way to start to wrap our minds around what we're talking about because we just calculate. We calculate, we think, okay, they're, you know, they're at fault and, you know, I'm, you know, we, and we just, we fail to see our, our own selves. And, you know, the minute we start to calculate whether or not that person is deserving, and often we, of course, do this at the subconscious level, is the minute that we totally miss what Jesus is calling us into, and by the way, start down the spiral of not being all that helpful. If you want to talk about calculating things, Jesus had 110% the right to be served. These disciples had 0%. He's the Son of God, Savior of the world. And they hadn't been all that great for their part, but even aside from that, 0% did they deserve to be. And yet Jesus having known that God was giving him all this, had given him all authority, gets down and washes their feet. I think that, that husband-to-be was on to something, but I would take it one step for, further. We talked about this. It's not just going, okay, we've got to figure out the calculation, and I've got to figure out my 60% so I can own that. That can be helpful, okay. It's really not calculating at all. Because the minute we calculate is the minute we're... we're we're missing what it's all about. Because if you're going to calculate, well, the calculation is none of us deserve service, care, or love from others. Really, at the end of the day. And so the minute we do that, we start to miss the whole point entirely. Who is someone you're calculating it when it comes to serving or not serving them? Uh, 
Who is someone where you probably are, you know, appointing yourself judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to all of this that we're, we're talking about? Um, it could be, you know, a boss that just gets under your skin, is grating at you. Look, I don't want to try to say, you know, serving this boss means you now need to just, you know, not handle it in all the professional ways and go all those pathways that you need to work on to make the situation better or right. I'm not, not saying all that, but I'm saying in the midst of that, can you look to serve them, care for them, whatever, in whatever sense that's in your power to do so? Uh, and, you know, serving might just be something like choosing to forgive somebody. You know, serving somebody might just be choosing to or asking God's help to have a softness of heart towards somebody. Because we just, we've closed ourselves off or we've just decided that person just doesn't deserve it for whatever reason we've decided and we're stuck, they're stuck. And regardless of that, Jesus says there's a better way. So lead through, lead through serving. So Jesus served humbly. He wasn't hung up on the sense of entitlement. Jesus served graciously. He wasn't hung up on the sense of deservedness. And Jesus served voluntarily. He wasn't hung up on a sense of begrudgment. He didn't like begrudge the situation. He took initiative to serve his disciples. He was proactive, and he wasn't forced into it. He did it all on his choice. And what I believe he's showing is, in fact, he's saying, we'll look at it here in a, in a second, is that when we do choose to serve, we choose on our own, proactively, voluntarily, to serve. There's a lot of life in that. There's a lot of freedom in that. Because here, here's what Jesus says later. He says in verse 17, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I mean, it was pretty incredible to me about this text is Jesus is not just saying to his followers, hey guys, I need you to serve so that, you know, people will associate me with happy things. I need you to do me one as my followers. Would you, would you serve? Like, he's saying, this is for your good and mine if we would serve. He said, you will be blessed. And there are many ways we can be blessed. We can just talk about a few just to kind of understand the impact here. But one of the ways we can be blessed when we choose to serve, when we actively, proactively look to serve, is maybe it'll come in the form of being able to be, get rid of resentment or bitterness that we've been holding on to. I mean, those sorts of things can have real bondage in our life. Um, there's another very famous teaching that Jesus says uh, elsewhere where he says, love your enemies. We all love that thought on the surface, but then we start to think about what that really means. Uh, you can't not struggle with that. You know what I'm saying? Love your enemy? Wow. How do we do that? Well, one of the life hacks, if I can put it that way, to, to learning to love your enemy is probably to learn to pray for them. If you want to learn to love your enemy, pray for them. Because prayer is not just something that happens in a vacuum. Prayer is something we do on the behalf of another person before the Lord in relationship. So it's kind of hard to come before the living God knowing who he is, what he's about, his character, and say, God, and I want you to smite my boss. You know what I'm saying? Because <laughs> the minute you or I pray that is the minute we realize, oh my goodness, if I pray that, God ought to smite me a thing or two as well. Does this make any sense? When you, when you start to pray for, for your enemy, you start to realize that the Lord is giving you a gift in terms of loving them, coming alongside him and loving them because they don't deserve it as much as we don't deserve it. And so the prayer can be something to the effect of, God, you know I want you to smite them. And I know you know that that's not what I should be praying for. 
You know what I'm saying? You just start to work it out before the living God who's forgiven you, who's forgiven me. You know, Lord, I, I just, you, I confessionally say I don't want the best for them, but I pray for your blessing on them. Would you please bless their marriage? Would you please bless their home? Would you please bless their work? And would you please give me a soft heart because I really don't have one right now towards them. That's one way we can learn to love our, our, our enemies by praying for I think in a way, when we choose to serve proactively, we can, we can experience that through serving. You know what I'm saying? Serving them, choosing to say, you know what? I've been thinking about this as them deserving it, and frankly, they probably don't deserve it, but I don't either, and I, how can I have an opportunity to serve them? Now, be real careful. Be real careful, because here's what the human heart tends to do if you're like me. It tends to go, all right, I'm going to serve them, and then they'll treat me better. No, 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 no. That's not serving them for them. That's serving them for, for them treating me better, right, for me. You're just serving them for them, looking to care for them, love them, serve them. Jesus is saying, There's so, you, you'll be blessed if you do these things. That's just one little thing. On a more general sense in terms of how you'll be blessed by choosing to serve voluntarily, proactively, is just you'll bring more life into the world. You're just, you're just allowed to usher in God's goodness and love through serving Serving people, just life will enter this world. One of, one of our leaders here at Current is such a, such a good guy. He's, he's introverted, which matters uh, in, this, in this example, because in, in the workplace, uh, what he's been quietly doing, and I only found this out indirectly, is during his lunch times at his workplace, he, he checks in on his coworkers. He goes out and eats, and everybody kind of hangs out, and he invites people to leave the computer and come out. And he obviously is not forcing or making it awkward, but he's just out there. He's just hanging out with folks, and he's listening to people, just getting into their, asking about their lives, and if they're open sharing, he'll, he'll listen. And, you know, frankly, one of the greatest gifts we can give in terms of serving other people is listening. You know, we could, if we listened more, we'd have an incredible impact in this world, experience a lot of life. But he's just out there listening, and as a result, there's just a, there's just a wonderful atmosphere at his workplace. People are just coming up to him and bringing all sorts of things now to him, just getting into stuff that he, he feels so humbled and honored that they would bring up to him. But, I mean, it's not hard to see why they're doing that. I mean, he's just, he's just loving them through listening, caring for them, making himself available. Even though he's, he's an introvert, even though he could probably use lunchtime to kind of like, you know, have some me time, so to speak, he's just like, wow, how can I? And, man, that company is incredibly blessed for it. And I'll tell you what, our church is incredibly blessed for it. When this guy's not here and I don't see him, I'm like, oh, I miss that guy. He's just, he's just a source of light and love because he's just constantly looking to serve people. One of the great blessings is, is we just bring God's light and love into the world when we serve. We're not caught up out of a sense of entitlement. We're not caught up out of a sense of deservedness. And we're not caught up in a sense of reluctance or begrudging the situations. It's just... God's gift to us, if we would just lean into it, it, it's for our blessing. Jesus calls us to lead through serving, and he gives us these ways to, to serve humbly, not out of a sense of entitlement, to serve graciously, not out of a sense of deservedness, voluntarily, not getting hung up, hung up on the circumstances and begrudging it. Uh, which of these would you say you're least inclined to do? Which of these would you say you most need the Lord's help? And... What would this look like for you even this week? Um, we can't end there because if we end there, uh, it's just too heavy, okay? Because this is one of those teachings where Jesus sets such a high bar example that, man, we can, 
on the one hand, see how wonderful and inspiring and lofty the call to leading through, to lead through serving is, and on the other hand, just be absolutely crushed by the weight of it. Wouldn't you say? Because it's like, okay, I could maybe kind of, sort of, not really do that, you know? But we need God's help in that, and he gives us opportunity. We need to talk about one more piece here, because Jesus doesn't say, here's the example, now figure it out. He gives us actually the key or the secret to actually maybe, yes, beginning to live this out. He's saying you and I can do this. He wasn't giving you and me an example here that's over our heads, we can't ever. No, he's actually saying this is possible, but you need to understand this key component, which I believe is in verse 15. He says, I have set an example that you do as I have done for you. Do as I have done for you. And I think that's the secret. That's the key. The Christian can do these things as they remember these words. If he has done this, if he has done this for me, then I can begin I can begin to do this for others. I mean, really, at the end of the day, this wonderful, famous account of Jesus washing the feet of his disciples is here in the Scripture for us to understand that in a similar way that he did that for them, he serves you and me. Uh, that's what he's about. That's what, that's what he came to do. Uh, real quick, there's this, there's this funny little uh, interaction that happens between Jesus and Peter. Did you hear it when it was read? Like, there's this little interaction where Jesus goes to wash Peter's feet, and Peter's kind of hung up by that. Uh, if Jesus were to come here today, just show up out of nowhere, and physically wash your feet, how, how would you handle that? I mean, you know, when I first read this, I was like, Peter, come on, dude, you're missing it. But then I realized, I'd probably do the same thing. It's like, Jesus washing my feet. But here's the interaction. Jesus is starting to, you know, he takes off his outer robe and he swoops down to start washing their feet. And we've already talked about what that meant in that society, what was understood by this. Peter sees all this and is like, Lord, what are you doing? And Jesus says, uh, you do not realize what I'm doing now, but later you'll understand. Let me give you the new David translation on that. Peter, let me just stop you, bro. Like, before you put your foot in your mouth, that stanky foot, by the way, before you put that in your mouth, yet again, you don't understand what I'm doing, but just, just, just let it happen. You, you need to let this happen, Peter. And Peter, being Peter, goes, no, you will never do that, Lord. And you understand the interaction. And just to give benefit, you know, benefit to Peter, it's like, we probably do some similar, I know, I, I probably would have. But Jesus makes the point that Peter was failing to grasp something, and what he was failing to grasp was that Jesus had to serve him. Jesus had to serve him. It wasn't just his feet that were dirty, Jesus explained. And it's not just our feet that's dirty. Peter needed, we needed, we need another cleansing. You know, the gospel or, or the good news, when you think about it in light of this text and in, in light of this account, is Jesus didn't just get up from the table, a position of comfort, a position of his authority in that moment. The gospel is he left heaven. And in leaving heaven, he left ultimate comfort. And he left the ultimate position of authority. And the gospel is he didn't just remove his outer robe to wash his disciples' feet. But on the cross, he was stripped of all his clothes to be crucified for your sin and mine. To, to wash our souls. And then the gospel is Jesus didn't just, after doing this, sit back at the table and recline. But that after going to the cross... Jesus sat down at the right hand of God, his Father, after having accomplished the work to bring us back into his presence if we would receive it by faith. I mean, that's the good news that we see in this text. 
Not that she's just... Jesus, as mind-boggling as it is to consider that Jesus would wash his disciples' feet, he did something infinitely greater and more intimate for you and me when he went to cross to die for our sins. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Jesus served humbly on the cross. It's not like it was his job to deal with our sin. But Philippians 2 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself in the nature of a servant. In fact, the word literally says, he made himself a slave and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. It wasn't his job to deal with our sin, but he, he did it. He served humbly. On the cross, he served graciously. It's not like we deserved him going to the cross. If anything, we deserved him not. But Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Jesus didn't just tip the scale in terms of deservedness and take everything on our behalf. He broke the scale such that when we put our faith in him, we receive forgiveness and life, and a restored relationship with God. That's the gospel, and the gospel says that Jesus served voluntarily. Elsewhere, Jesus says, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. And in Hebrews 12, it says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus, for the joy set before him, went to be crucified. For the joy why would, now, does that mean he didn't understand the weight of it? No, in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's like, not, you know, not my will, but your will. He understood what he was getting into, but even still, he approached it with joy. Why? Because he longed to serve you and me by dying for our sins. That's the gospel. And this means we don't just have this wonderful call to serve others. It's a nice thought. It's not just a call. And you know what? It's not just an example. Even as he says, I, have, I gave you an example. He, he says, do as I have done for you. It's also the, it's the power to actually begin living this out. It's to remember the words, if he has done that, if he has done that for me, then maybe I can begin to do this for others. Uh, let's be real. I think a lot of us right now are really tired. I humbly believe coming out of the pandemic, there's still this like fatigue out there. Uh, just collectively, uh, relationally, and when I say relationally, I just mean just all out. Boy, I feel it on the baseball field. There's like a lot. I was talking earlier, so I'm getting a little sidetracked here, but it's like things are just getting intense out there. It's just like going more and more. But that's just kind of true everywhere. There's, there's, there's a tiredness. There's a more sharpness to relationships, which it seems to me, though, is all the more reason we need to lean into what God's calling us to, what Jesus calls us to, and that is to serve to look to serve. And Jesus said, you will be blessed as you do these things. He's not just saying, hey, do this so that you can be a good Christian. He said, no, I'll do this so you will be blessed. You will be blessed. You will be blessed in the next life. That's awesome. You will be blessed in this life. And through you, you will be a blessing. And may we be this kind of people as a church. May we be this in our homes. May we lead through serving out in the community, on the baseball fields, in the workplace, wherever we happen to be. Can you, can you love humbly, graciously, voluntarily? And when you struggle with that, can you, can, you, can you remind your soul, if he did this, that's the call. And that's the gift that, we're, that, that we get to lead through serving. What would that look like for you? Let's pray. Father, as wonderful as a teaching as this is, it's also an incredible challenge because the fact of the matter is 
we do get hung up from serving others just in so many ways. I know it's true of me. We calculate. We have a sense of entitlement. We don't look for opportunities. And First of all, thank you so much that you served and do serve us. We don't deserve it, not in any way, and yet it doesn't stop you from serving us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you as we come to the table now to take communion, that we do so remembering you are the God who serves. And it's in your image that we're created. Lord, you create us to be servant-minded people. Would you help us to lead through serving? We need your help in that. Would you help us to be a church? Would you help us to be individuals? Would you help us to be families known for being willing to even wash, wash feet in whatever sense that might mean? Father, as we come to your, commun- your, your table today to take communion, would you help us remember the, the single greatest act of service the world has ever known when you sent your son to die for us, take care of our, our sin, our punishment, that by faith we could re- receive eternal life in you. Thank you for your body broken, your blood spilled for us. And thank you for doing that with the joy in your heart. We don't deserve it, but would you help all that spill into us and through us out into the community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.